Hey folks, welcome to the Linton Podcast for the Greater Decatur Churches. My name is Dalton Rushing. I'm here with Joya Abrams and Patrick Fallhaber, the other clergy uh, serving the Greater Decatur Churches. And we're continuing in our series as we talk about our Linton study, our Linton series, You Only Have to Die. We're talking about the things that have to die uh, and in order for resurrection to happen in our lives. And this week we're talking about the death of knowing best, the death of knowing best. And we're going to read from Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 31 through 38. Patrick, would you read that? Absolutely. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed, and then after three days rise from the dead. He said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus, scolded him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross. And follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Well, there's some powerful stuff in here, and we're going to get into it. Um, but I want to get a, give a little bit of background on the Scripture, and then we'll talk through some of the issues that it raises. Uh, it's interesting to know that this is Jesus' first prediction of his own passion, of his own uh, suffering and death. And so when Peter takes Jesus aside and scolds him and rebukes him, it's not really much of a surprise. Peter's never heard this before. Not only has Peter never heard this before, but the Greek word that is used for scold or rebuke actually means that he assumes Jesus is possessed by demons, that there's something wrong with him mentally. And if if you had been one of the disciples, I'll speak for myself, if I had been one of the disciples and I had gone along with Jesus, and then I hear Jesus talk this way, I think I probably would have said the exact same thing. Knowing what he knew about Jesus, Peter now hears something wholly incompatible with what he had known. And so it's no surprise in many ways that he responds to Jesus this way. In fact, for me, the biggest surprise is that Jesus responds to Peter using such strong language, get behind me, Satan. Um, The other thing is that the language that's used, depending on your translation, as the human one or the son of man, comes uh, from the Old Testament, and uh, it it comes from the book of Daniel. And in that uh, that book, the figure is identified with the righteous of Israel. In the Gospel of Mark, it's used in three places, uh, two before this one. One, when Jesus forgives sin... Two, when Jesus says he has authority to determine whether you can work on the Sabbath, and then 
suffering. So the first two are about how Jesus has authority, and then the third one is about Jesus' weakness. It's really out of place. It's just unusual um, and would have felt unusual to Mark's uh, readers, and it certainly felt unusual to Peter. What's interesting about the way that the term's used in Daniel, though, is that actually, while it's associated with the righteous in Israel, it's associated with the righteous in Israel who suffer. And so, built into that term, into that passage, is the idea that righteousness does not equate with lack of suffering. Just because you're righteous, just because you're good, doesn't mean that you won't experience suffering. I want to have some conversation about this. And my read is that there's sort of three pieces to this passage of Scripture. The first is that Jesus recasts suffering in a different way. And then um, Jesus corrects Peter. And then he talks, Jesus talks about losing your life in order to gain it. So let's talk about suffering. Suffering is a really difficult topic. And I wonder, um, Joya and Patrick, how you have um, seen suffering at work in the world, how it's impacted your own theology, your own understanding of God. When I think about suffering in my life and how it's impacted my theology, um, I keep thinking about we, are, we get stronger through suffering, um, not to minimize it. Like I'm thinking about engineering school for some reason is what's mm. coming to mind. I mean, I've been through much worse things in engineering school, sure. but that's the one that's coming to mind right now. And it was hard. I mean, I got out of Georgia Tech. Like, that's a lot. Um, but what it, it taught me, I don't remember much of my engineering coursework, but it, I proved to myself that I'm strong, that I can get through stuff. Um, so when I think about the other things that I've experienced in life that have been way worse than engineering school, um, I already knew that I could get through one hard thing. And so the suffering that I've experienced, um, has made me stronger. Um, but I want to be clear when I say that, since I know people are listening is please don't hear that as me saying, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm-hmm. or, um, you know, there's a reason for your suffering. Um, this is a... A result. I don't believe it's the cause. Mm. Interesting. I think that's an important distinction. Right. Patrick, now, my own experience uh, of suffering. That, so you started talking about engineering school, and it made me immediately think about my time in undergrad. And there, and we can. This will be a story for another day. But I experienced a real sense of rejection by mm. my what I thought of as my church community, and that was really deeply painful for me. Yeah. Um, but the thing that helped me get through it as much as it was a uh, center and understanding that God loved me as I was and all those uh, really important things, what really saved me was my friends, my family, the people who I knew and trusted coming alongside me in the midst of that heartache and that pain I- and um that group of people helped me get through suffering. So uh, I think you're right. You know, you, mm-hmm. you may find yourself in, in, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, obviously school wasn't the worst thing that ever happened Clearly. to me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that that would be a bad thing, but um, what it demonstrated to me in those moments was that I wasn't alone in it. And right. that there was company who, who, held my hand, and ushered me through the midst of it. May I circle back to what I said? I just realized I didn't, an- I didn't finish answering the, the presence of God in that, like that I knew that I could struggle through because I knew 
partly yeah. like not alone with with human support, mm-hmm. but also knowing that God was with me. Um, I mean, in whatever way I could have as a twenty to whatever year old person, but sure. as it's grown through these other experiences in life to be able to start to sense the presence of God um, almost more acutely in these times of suffering. It's interesting. I mean, uh, thanks for sharing those experiences. This is, suffering is a tough topic to talk about. And one of the reasons is that we don't fully understand it. It's one of the biggest problems in the Christian church. And in fact, um, there've been a number of prominent theologians who have gotten to the place where they so struggle with this issue they have actually left the faith. Mm-hmm. Oh. Theodicy is the, the term that we, the, the $5 word we use to talk about the, the experience of suffering, why a good God would allow it. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as the question of why that is, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's really, that's really where uh, I am with it. But as you can hear, as we talk about suffering in our own experiences, I hope you hear that good can come of it that not only um, do we, is suffering formative for us, but that through the process of suffering, we experience God's goodness, both in people who walk alongside of us and in the knowledge that God is with us. The thing about suffering is that it, it really is a complicated thing. And the thing, one of the, the things that's helped me understand suffering is to think about what pain is, like what mm-hmm. physical pain is. Um, my, I have an uncle who is a pain specialist, and he spends uh, his entire job. career. It is, <laughs> and it's also God's work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he deals with people, in particular, this is how bad it is. He deals with people who have had amputations and have ghost pain. Oh, wow. And so it's extraordinarily difficult for people to have pain in a limb that no Not longer there. exists. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, we're talking about people who can't sleep, who, and, and, and that increases the suffering. So I've, I've thought a lot about pain in my life. Uh, also, um, sort of relatedly, my, my grandfather uh, was, one of, was a person who experienced other people's pain. Do you know what I mean? Like he had that sort of empathy. When he passed away, my cousin, um, who had experienced a lot of physical pain in his own life, said of him that he was the only person he ever knew who literally hurt when you hurt. Mm. And I, I think back about that description of my grandfather when I think about the story of Jesus' suffering. Because Jesus experiences great suffering. Not necessarily because Jesus needs to... like experience that because we've been bad, but more that Jesus experiences it so that when we experience it, we're not alone. Mm-hmm. He finds some redemption in that suffering. Yeah. I've also come to understand it uh, as far as physical pain goes in terms of the necessity of pain in our lives. Pain plays a very important role. Uh, I was reading a story the other day of a child uh, who has a disorder in which he cannot feel pain. And kids like that. So so he like put his hand on a hot stove and didn't know it was a problem until his parents saw him do it. They've created a Facebook group um, called A Gift of Pain to share with other children who uh, and parents who who have this con- very dangerous condition. And it's interesting to me to think about the gift of pain in our lives. And I think this is in some ways what Jesus does here, so that Peter thinks suffering is just bad and there's nothing good to come of it. And he can't imagine that his friend, his dear friend, would experience it. So Jesus uh, 
says to him when he is rebuked by Peter, get behind me, Satan. Which sort of brings me to my second, my second bit about how Jesus corrects here and reminds Peter that um, it's important that Peter not hold on to knowing best. Sometimes mm-hmm. what we think we know best is not right, but God has a better way. In other words, it's not about me. It's not about me and my own preferences. So often I read my own preferences in the scripture rather than letting scripture, letting the church guide what it is that I believe. I think it's only human. We do this in culture too. And so just I'd like to have a little bit of discussion about how it is that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus subverts culture. So we think we know best. Culture thinks it's no, it knows best. But, but Jesus, scripture has a better way. What are ways in which you've seen that happen? Our culture in this country is, seems to be built around pleasure hmm. and the avoidance of pain. And so to read a scripture like this and to realize that so much of our Christian faith is our sights are set beyond the avoidance of pain as Christians, from what, especially from a, a text like this. So to, to be, though, also in this culture where pain is seen as something you, you have pain because you've done something wrong mm. or um, that you're less than, that you have failed at life if you have pain, we are wrestling with that. Um, and I'm... You know, as, I, as I've shared with some people before, I'd rather be comfortable. <laughs> sure. So, um, and I think a lot of us want to. So it's this tension, usually. Yeah, well, and the other side of that same coin is how quick people are to say, God, would you just quit complaining about yeah. everything? Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, like, I don't care about your pain, you know, yeah. uh, as much as it is about escaping it and you know the super bowl ads alone demonstrate mm. how uh, our propensity to step into whatever is shiny and new and cool just to escape whatever is in our lives there's the other half of that that's um i don't want to be confronted with your pain because um, mm-hmm. that makes me uncomfortable and i don't want uh, comfortable right and you know so so in a lot like peter i think we go around our communities saying, no, 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 you're not actually in pain, or no, 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 if you just take this particular prescription, everything will be fine, or no, 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 you just need a new uh, Dodge truck because Martin Luther King says it's a great car, or, you know, like there's all these things that we see as an escape, and rather than listen to the pain in somebody else, what we'd prefer to do is just tell them something they should go buy or tell them something they should go do or tell them something that uh, might be a release for them so that we never have to actually have the conversation. And I don't yeah. say that to minimize uh, mental health things. You know, prescriptions are important and don't hear me say anything. But uh, some pain is normal. That. But I wonder what would happen in the midst of that pain if we could hear one another. Yeah. Instead of throwing platitudes at yeah. one another so that you stop yeah. telling me about how horrible your life yeah. is. So I say everything happens for a reason because that makes me feel better. Yeah. And, it, and, and those conversations in many ways are less about me caring if you feel better. I just want to shut it down because I've got enough in my own life. I don't want to have to deal with it. Right. It's a challenge, this business of of accepting suffering, accepting pain. Um, it strikes me, uh, Patrick, you talked about being a nine on the Enneagram, being a peacemaker and avoiding conflict sometimes. I wonder if that's what Peter's doing here. 
You know, Peter says, no, 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 that can't be it. So like, Jesus, it's going to be fine. Like pets him on the head a little bit and says it's going to be okay. To which, uh, at which point Jesus says the worst thing you can say to a peacemaker, which is get behind me, Satan, right? Um, and Peter never gets it. He, ne- he until, never, gets until the it. resurrection, he never gets it. Even as uh, in, later in the gospel of Mark, as, as Jesus is being marched off towards the mm-hmm. cross, Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest rather than like allowing himself to believe that Jesus could suffer. Mm-hmm. It, it's a challenging thing to think about God who suffers. Because so often we hold up worldly success as the model for what we want. Right. And it strikes me that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that our, that our understanding of strength and weakness is backwards. He says, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I don't think he means that God is so strong that God's quote-unquote weakness is stronger than the strongest strength that humans might have. I think what he is saying is that there is strength in the kind of weakness that Christ shows us by being willing to suffer. When Jesus talks then about losing your life, it must have been difficult for Peter to hear. It's difficult for me to hear because I like my life most days, you know? I like who I am, and I like what I believe. So it's difficult for me to walk into a situation and give up the fact that I think I know best. It's a challenge. I wonder what are ways in your own life that you have been corrected that way, that you've experienced the gospel getting in the way of what you, th- what you thought should be or even your own comfort? That's a really good question. Um, I've been rebuked multiple times, and the problem is I like to think I was right in every one of those moments of rebuke, which is probably part of the problem. (laughs) Uh, Probably. You know, I imagine Mm. I'd be a lot like Peter wanting to cut off an ear at the end of it just to sort of prove the case that this (laughs) isn't where we're headed. Um, But... um, I think the strongest rebuke I've gotten has been about uh, timing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and another church I served, actually, I was working alongside um, several folks, and there was a misunderstanding about what was going to happen in worship. And I just wanted to, even though I don't like conflict, I had decided this was my moment to have it. <laughs> and I just threw down that the order of worship and the way that we had made a decision about months beforehand had to happen the way that it was happening. But a new thing had come up that made it... Uh, um, that meant that we had to adjust to uh, a new schedule in worship. And uh, I did not want to adjust because the way that I had planned it so beautifully was the way that it should have been. And um, fortunately, uh, another leader in the church was able to remind me that it wasn't about my preference on what should happen in worship. It was about the work of God in the moment and in the Hmm. space and what was happening in the church. Uh, That's the strongest rebuke that comes to mind, especially around church. But uh, even still, I think I was was right. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. (laughs) I think mine might be more personal Hmm. um, in going to marriage counseling and having the counselor say, no, Joya, you actually aren't communicating well with your husband at all. Mm. 
you're actually not telling him what you need. You're expecting him to guess. And he can't do that. Huh. And for you to get mad at him for that, that's a problem. Mm. And so that totally made me start to rewrite all the things that I thought being married and being in love and all that meant that, um, and actually now I'm grateful for that from my own experience because now when I counsel couples, I can just go ahead and lay it on the table that being in love with someone does not give you magical powers of mind reading. Hmm. Um, but I could take that experience of, of my own being rebuked, rebuction, that's not a word, um, <laughs> and, and bring that forward for, for the health of my own relationship, but also be able to share with other couples as they're preparing for marriage. Hmm. Yeah, that's powerful being able to turn that around and use it. Yeah. So we've talked about this in terms of specific instances in your life in which you felt rebuked or the, the, the gospel's gotten in the way of your own preferences. So the related and, and larger question for me then is, what do you think Jesus means when he talks about losing your life? So for me, um, losing my life, especially the way that Jesus talks about it, I'm still honestly learning how to do that. Sure. You know, I think it's been an ongoing process for me that I'm not sure has an end. I heard, um, gosh, it must have been a couple of years ago now, there was a a monk who described his experience of drawing closer and closer to God. And he described an experience where he met someone who he had known when he was in college. This was, you know, 40 years ago for him. And how when they met again, they remembered one another's name, but they realized very quickly in their conversation that they were meeting a new person. Hmm. They no longer were the person they knew in college. It was a completely different person. Hmm. Life experiences conversation, study, time spent um, in respective fields changed them almost entirely from what they had known 40 years previously. And so this sort of dying to self experience is one that changes with every moment if you let it. And then the other side of that is that I think for me, like you, Joya, I love having some sense of comfort and comfort for me often means that I'm in the same place that I have my routine. I eat the exact same breakfast and mm. make my coffee the same way. And I wake up at the same time every day because it feels good. Um, and the rest of my day can feel very similar to that. Mm -hmm. um, so that want for comfort can keep me from dying to myself because I've developed uh, paths. Sure in my life and in my mind and in my day to get me to what I, where I am even right now. And so for me, dying to myself is having to sort of intentionally step out of those habits, you mm. know, sort of one at a time, um, which is difficult work, but it's ongoing. So I hope to get to the point where 40 years from now I can see you, the two of you, and I'm, I almost said three because Alina's also sitting in our uh, room with us. <laughs> so, but yeah. the three of us, when I see y'all 40 years from now, uh, we might have that same encounter. Sure. That I could say, I, I know you, but I no longer know you, and right. thank God for it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think a similar um, approach in how I interpret the scripture is to not have preservation, self-preservation be my okay. aim. I see it that, that's how I've, I've read it for myself, um, that I'm not trying to make all well for me only, like that's my goal, that's my telos, if you wanna sure. use that kind of language. So that 
I'm in the arc of what's going on in my world, how I'm answering my call to ministry, how I'm leading in the church, how I'm being a mom, how I'm being a wife, but it's not just about me, that I'm not the center, but I am still there. Sure. I heard an interview about the Supreme Court. Um, they interviewed a number of justices um, following Justice Scalia's passing as they prepared to receive a new justice. And one of the things they said is that every time somebody new comes in, that it's anxiety producing for them because the institution fundamentally changes. Mm -hmm. And they have to adjust who they are in order to account for the new person. What I like about this idea is that not only did the justices acknowledge that they needed to change, in order to receive someone new, they acknowledge that they have to do that every time somebody new sits at the table. Mm. And it's hard enough when there are nine, mm. but when there are eight billion, it's particularly difficult. Mm. And so I, I'm also in my own life continually trying to figure out what this means. Because when we talk about routines, I have my own routines, my own biases too. But another word for routine may be discipline. And so there are things that we ought to do and we ought to do regularly. But we also ought to be open to the Spirit of God because when we make idols out of our routines, we are holding on to our lives at the expense of offering our life to Christ. Right. It's a complicated thing, um, but it, it strikes me just sort of to sum up that it really is true that, that my own ways have to die. Knowing best has to die in order for me to be open to the work of Christ in the world. Now we come to the time in the podcast where we offer some discussion questions. And they're really discussion questions if you want to talk about with them with someone, but they're also questions for you to think about if you're listening in your car. I hope these are helpful as you process what it means uh, that Christ calls us to let our own ways die, that uh, in order to save your life, you must lose it. Here are some questions. First, we remember Christian martyrs like Martin Luther King Jr. and Oscar Romero and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the Center for the Study of Global Christianity estimates that 100,000 Christians are killed every year because of their faith. And yet, somehow, we still equate worldly success with spiritual faithfulness. Why do you think that is? Second, think of a time in your life when you have experienced suffering. How did you understand that suffering? Are there questions that you asked of God during that suffering? How do you talk about how you dealt with it? Are there questions you still have about it? Third and finally, if, like Peter we don't always know best. What is the litmus test for truth? How do we know what is true? How do we tell the difference between the surprising spirit of God and our own preferences? We'll list these questions at the greaterdecatur.org website. You can find them there. You can also find uh, links to the, our previous episodes. Next week, we'll be talking about the death of the temple as we continue in our series, You Only Have to Die. Thanks for being with us.